congregation, peace. What a soothing word it is. Peace is ultimately what every human being desires. The reason the United Nations were established after World War II is this vain illusion that somehow we could establish a world of peace, a world void of warfare. We realize all too well, all too painfully, that that is a vain illusion. Christ said that as long as the world would stand, that that as we come closer to his return, that there will be wars and rumors of wars. So our world is filled with the very opposite of peace. All of that is the bitter result of our fall in Adam. That's why it's so remarkable that in this fallen world of ours, where peace is so elusive, that God, by His sovereign grace, renews fallen sinners in such a remarkable way that they become peacemakers. That's the focus of this seventh beatitude, which we will consider with you this evening. Again, very simple words. Blessed, supremely happy, supremely favored are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. This is the apex This is what Christ has been moving towards. All of these other Beatitudes are are like, as Watson says, as a golden ladder. And we arrive at this remarkable apex. They shall be called the children of God. And so again, our points are simple. First of all, the identity, the nature of the peacemakers. What does that mean? What does Christ mean when he says, blessed are the peacemakers? Secondly, the conduct of the peacemakers. Because it's very significant, and I will emphasize that, Christ does not say, blessed are the peaceful, or blessed are the peace lovers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so that points to a person who takes an initiative, the conduct of peacemakers. And thirdly, the blessedness of peacemakers. What is the blessedness? The blessedness that Christ declares them to be the children of God. A congregation, there is no greater honor that can be bestowed upon a fallen sinner as to be designated as a child of the living God. So the peacemakers pronounced blessed. The identity of the peacemakers, the conduct of the peacemakers, and the blessedness of the peacemakers. As I have been explaining to you, is that there is a progression in the Beatitudes. The order is not arbitrary. Christ brilliantly, brilliantly builds one Beatitude upon the other. One beatitude begets the next one, begets the next one, until we arrive at this conclusive beatitude, the conclusive beatitude which concludes his portrait, the portrait of the true citizen of his kingdom, the portrait of a true child of the living God, the portrait of a true believer. And so this is the cumulative the cumulative outcome of all those other Beatitudes. And so we will never be a peacemaker as defined here by Christ unless we are poor in spirit, realize who we are as sinners, unless we mourn over that, unless we humble ourselves before God 
in the dust, and unless we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, unless we experience the wonder of being filled to overflowing, unless that produces the foundational marks of true godliness, the foundational marks of holiness, that we are merciful, and as we saw this morning, that we are pure in heart, that our life flows out of a renewed heart, that true holiness, as we saw this morning, proceeds from within, from a heart that has been renewed by the Spirit. And then we arrive at this, what we can call the bottom line, the bottom line, an important, a very popular expression. But the bottom line, it all boils down to this, that those for whom all of this is true, because that's the implication here, this, this statement that they shall be called the children of God does not only apply to the seventh beatitude. No, this applies to all of them. For those of whom all of this is true, they shall be the children of God. And as we have pointed out to you, what's striking about these last three is that they are a reflection of the character of God. And that's especially true for this final beatitude. And so what the beatitudes clearly teach, that a holy God has a holy people, a godly people, a God-like people. That's what godliness means. It means to be God-like. It means that in a true believer, in a living soul, in a true child of God, there will be a reflection of God's character. That's especially true for this beatitude. Because it's not arbitrary that Christ links that designation specifically to this beatitude. And so a peacemaker, a peacemaker, more than any other mark, is a person who, by virtue of the fact that he is a peacemaker, which I will explain, displays something of the glory and of the beauty of God's very own being. And the first thing we need to realize, congregation, that God, the Father of His children, that He Himself is the great peacemaker. This is what defines him. This is what describes his glory. God is the peacemaker. Because what does peace mean? What does the word peace mean? The word peace means harmony. And so when God created the world, it was an entirely peaceful creation. There was harmony everywhere. There was harmony between God and and every aspect of his creation. There was harmony between God and his image-bearer man. There was harmony between man and all of creation. That entire creation God saw when he made it, he saw that it was very, very good. There was peace on earth. There was harmony. Because you see, that reflects the character of God. As I've explained, congregation, God is a relational being. God is a triune God. We just confessed it. God is a triune God, and the Trinity is that amazing relationship between the Father and the Son in the Spirit. And that is the ultimate definition of harmony. The Trinity is that astounding, everlasting relationship between the three persons of the Trinity, which is marked by harmony. And because God is a relational being, He created us as relational creatures in His image. Because this peacemaking that Christ is talking about has everything to do with relationships. That's why the essence of God's law, in its original form given to us in Matthew 22, the essence of God's law is relational. 
It defines our relationship with God, and it defines our relationship with our fellow man. That's why all sin is relational in nature. When we transgress one of those commandments, one of God's commandments, we are either violating our relationship with God or we are violating our relationship with our fellow man, and often we do both. But so it was not. And so precisely because God is a relational being, because God is a God of love, He created a creature, man, with whom He could exist in whom he could have, with whom he could have this marvelous, harmonious love relationship. And so it was. So it was before man fell. And then that wretched moment, the wretched moment when Adam and Eve believed Satan's lie. And when that marvelous relationship was broken, when that harmony was grievously disrupted, and you see it right away. The harmony is gone. Everything falls apart. Adam and Eve are now hiding. The marriage of Adam and Eve is impacted, falls apart. The harmony is gone. Adam and Eve are expelled. And from that moment, fallen man has become a peace breaker. Right away we see it. The first battle, if you will, was between Abel and between his brother. Right away we saw, the, and Adam and Eve had to experience the bitter consequences of having sinned against God. And that initial battle that resulted in the first murder in history was but the beginning of a history of this world that is now utterly marred by warfare, utterly marred by the, the painful absence of peace. But the wonderful thing, congregation, is that before God expels Adam and Eve from the garden, God immediately reveals himself as the peacemaker. And he offers peace and pardon already to two human beings who were not desiring that peace, who were hiding from him, who had the audacity to blame him for what had happened. But already God himself he proffered peace and pardon. And he declared to them, even though you have broken your relationship with me, even though you have forged a friendship with Satan, I will put enmity between you, between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And he will come in the fullness of time in order to bring you back into a harmonious relationship with me. Ah, you see, that's the character of God. Because even though Adam and Eve had broken that relationship, God did not change. God cannot and will not deny himself. And so he is the peacemaker. And what's beautiful and what's powerful, congregation, that God did not wait for Adam and Eve to ask for it. No, God took the initiative. That's very, very powerful because, as we will see in a moment when we talk about the conduct of the peacemakers. That's what that word implies. Blessed are the peace initiators. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will reflect the character of their heavenly Father. And so it was in paradise. The congregation, in order for that peace to be restored, in order for that harmonious relationship between God and man to be restored again. The Father had to give His only begotten Son in the fullness of time. Oh, the gift of His Son to be the Savior of rebellious sons and daughters of Adam. The gift of His Son to redeem warmongers, which we have all become as a result of our fall. Oh, what a remarkable act it was by God as the great peacemaker. 
Oh, he sent his son into the world for that very purpose, so that through him and through his sacrifice, peace and harmony between God and man could be restored. And it could only be restored in one way. That is by means of the cross, the accursed cross of Calvary. So dreadful are the consequences of that covenant breach between God and man. That the only way that we could be reconciled with God, the only way that there could be peace between God and our souls, is by the gift of God's only begotten Son in the fullness of time, as the ultimate proof that God is indeed the great peacemaker. That's why we refer, it's a scriptural term, we refer to God's eternal counsel, to God's eternal initiative as the counsel of peace. And the counsel of peace shall be between them both. That's why when Christ was born, that's why the angels sang in the fields of Ephrathah, glory to God, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The angels there unveiled God's good pleasure. They sang of God's good pleasure. They unveiled that the ultimate outcome of the birth of that child in Bethlehem's manger would be that God as the great peacemaker, would be supremely glorified, that peace would be restored on earth, and that goodwill would be manifested towards fallen sinners. The congregation, the outworking of this are evident until this very day. If by the grace of God you belong to those whom Christ describes here. That means that peace between God and you has been restored. That's why the Holy Spirit has caused you and does cause you to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because the only way there can be peace between God and your and my soul is if righteousness is restored. And so it was the Spirit of God, the Spirit of peace, if you will. It was the Spirit of God who so worked in your soul to lead you to Christ and Him crucified so that by embracing Him, by trusting in Him, you could become partaker of his righteousness, the righteousness that he secured by his perfect life and perfect death. And on the basis of that perfect righteousness, God has embraced you in his everlasting arms of peace because that's his desire. His desire is to make you a partaker of that peace. Paul writes of it in Colossians 1 verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. In Ephesians 2 verse 14 we read, For he, Christ, is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. What a beautiful statement that is. He is our peace. And so Christ not only has secured the restoration of that peace, the restoration of that harmonious relationship between God and our soul, Christ is our peace. He is the embodiment of it. Christ not only has secured salvation for you, dear believer, He is your salvation. He is your redemption. He is your righteousness. He is your peace. In Him, you have been reconciled with God. He is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And then verse 17, Paul writes, and came and preached peace. 
That's who we are as the servants of God. We are God's messengers of peace. We are called by God to proffer peace and pardon. Called by God to proclaim that it is God's desire to be reconciled with you. We saw it last week from from 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul says we we are God's ambassadors. As though Christ did beseech you through us, be ye reconciled unto God. And out of that perfect sacrifice, that perfect substitutionary sacrifice, flows the marvelous work of the Holy Spirit on the basis of which he takes hold of a fallen sinner A sinner who by nature has no desire to be at peace with God. And by his marvelous work, he restores us and makes us a new creature. And what part of that new creation is that we become a peacemaker. Because by nature, we are troublemakers. That is one of the wretched fruits of our flesh. By nature, we are all born warmongers, troublemakers. And because of our sinful natures, we are inclined to live in disharmony, in discord with our fellow men. Paul in Romans 3, where he gives a picture of you and me, that's what Romans 3 is, Romans 3 Boys and girls, is a picture of you and me. And then he describes the depravity of man. And Paul makes this statement, and he says, And the way of peace have they not known. In Titus 3, verse 3, Paul gives a striking description of our human depravity. And he reminds the one to whom he is writing, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul says, such were some of you. That's who we are by nature. We are born and conceived in sin by nature. God's word says we are inclined to hate God and to hate our neighbor. We are born troublemakers. That's why regeneration is such a marvelous work. When the Spirit of God transforms a troublemaker, a warmonger, a sinner, transforms that sinner into a peacemaker. When Zechariah was singing his song in Luke 1, He indicated that this is one of the things that the Messiah would accomplish. We read in Luke 1, verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, and here it comes, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And Christ is saying, my people are By virtue of my grace, my people, my citizens, the citizens of my kingdom, they have become peacemakers. Because congregation, the obvious point is this. When the relationship with God is restored, when when there is again in Christ harmony, harmony between God and our soul, that will manifest itself horizontally. So it's impossible to be at peace with God and that not to manifest itself in our horizontal relationships. James writes of this in James 3 verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Did you notice the connection between purity and peace? Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. The wisdom that's from above is first pure and is then peaceable. 
And so what Christ is describing for us here is one of the most remarkable evidences of the transforming and renewing grace of God. This has nothing to do with someone's personality. Some of us are much more easygoing than others. This has nothing to do with it. This is a fruit that will never be found in the natural heart. This this wonderful disposition of being a peacemaker. Again, a disposition. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's part of that new nature. That new creation that the Spirit establishes. That is a fruit of grace. It is proof that we are truly united to the peacemaker himself. That we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as his people, we are united to him by his spirit who dwells in him and who dwells in us. What are the fruits of the spirit? Galatians 5 verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. That brings us to the conduct of the peacemakers. Because you see, that new disposition created by the Holy Spirit, that new disposition will manifest itself in the way we conduct ourselves. That's why it's so important that we understand the significance of these words. Blessed are the peacemakers, the peace lovers. Blessed are they who take the initiative to be at peace with our fellow men, who go out of their way to dwell in harmony with their fellow men. Luther uses a word that means who are ready to be at peace with a fellow man. And then we think of the words, the remarkable words of Romans 12, verse 18. Open your Bible and read it with me. Romans 12, verse 18. This is a key verse that describes what it means to be a peacemaker. Not just a peace lover, but a peacemaker. The language is very clear. It's very convicting. Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That's quite something. So what Paul is is implying here, it may not always be possible, but congregation... But then we have to have a clear conscience before God that is not because of lack of initiative on our part. That we have to have a clear conscience that we have done everything we could to be a peacemaker. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Calvin comments by saying, by peacemakers, by peacemakers... Christ means those who not only seek peace and avoid quarrels as far as lies in their power, but who also labor to settle differences among others who advise all men to live at peace and take away every occasion of hatred and strife. That's that's Calvin's exposition of that statement. So what are some of the qualities of peacemakers. Well, remember the connection. What is the beatitude that that connects with peacemakers? Blessed are the meek. And the meek are people who know their proper place before God. The meek are those who have been cured of all pride and arrogance. The meek are those who are willing to take the lowest place And to be the least. And you cannot be a peacemaker unless you are meek. Because why is it that so often we fail to make peace? Because of our pride. Because of our arrogance. 
which manifests itself in so many subtle ways. But to be a peacemaker, you have to be willing to be the least. In our first congregation, I had an elder who taught me a lesson I've never forgotten. When we talked about resolution of conflict, he said to me, when you are trying to resolve a conflict, even if the other party is 99% responsible for the conflict and you only 1%, you act like 99% of it is your fault and the other party only one. And I've never forgotten that lesson. That's what Christ means here. To be a peacemaker means that you are willing to be the least. That you are willing to take the lowest place. Watson has a pithy statement when he says, Humility solders Christians together in peace. Humility solders Christians together in peace. And so the peacemaker will therefore be someone who focuses on the virtues of others rather than their vices. Focuses on the virtues of others rather than their vices. Peacemakers are those who have a a great measure of tolerance towards the faults of others. Peacemakers will not be easily offended. Or to put it this way, peacemakers will not have long toes on which you can easily step. Peacemakers. Peacemakers are those who practice 1 Corinthians 13. If you want to read what, what that looks like to be a peacemaker, read and study 1 Corinthians 13. Peacemakers will also be people who use their tongue with great caution. Who use their tongue with great caution. How much trouble, how much trouble between human beings is not a direct result of the use of the tongue. You know from James 3, what the tongue has become as a result of the fall. The tongue created by God is an instrument to promote God's glory and the well-being of our neighbor. That tongue has become an instrument of war. But when God God transforms us and makes us a peacemaker that includes the use of our tongue, and then we begin to use our tongue, not to sow discord, but we begin to use our tongue wisely. And that means that many times, For the sake of peace and harmony, we will bite on our tongue and not say everything that's on our mind. Oh, we sin so much with our tongue. And again, that makes sense because as relational beings, that means we are beings that communicate. And we communicate verbally. And all of that has been corrupted by the fall And so the very fact that we are sinners manifests itself also in the way in which we communicate with one another. So let me repeat. Peacemakers are humble. Peacemakers focus on virtues rather than vices. Peacemakers have a great measure of tolerance towards the fault of others, are not easily offended. Peacemakers use their tongue with caution. And so where, is the, where does this work its way out? What is the arena of peacemaking? Where do we practice that peacemaking? And of course, first of all, at home. First of all, in our marriage. A Christian marriage can only function well if husband and wife are peacemakers. That means that a godly husband will go out of his way to take the initiative to be at peace with his wife. And the godly wife will be a peacemaker and go out of her way to take the initiative to be at peace with her husband. What often happens, 
The husband said, I will not move one inch until she does so and so, or she will say, I I will not move one inch until he does so and so. That's not how peacemakers act. Peacemakers realize that their obligation to God is to be a peacemaker, not a peace lover, but to be a peacemaker, to be a peace initiator. Congregation, I'm convinced if by the grace of God we practice that, that there will be harmony in our homes. I'm not saying that there will never be any difficulties. But if we fear God, if we profess to be Christians, that means we're called to be peacemakers. Peacemakers, first of all, at home. Between spouses, between parents and children. Of course, that includes our, the next sphere, our extended family. Regrettably, there's often discord also in extended families. But it had better not be your fault. You had better have a clear conscience before God that you have done everything in your power to be at peace. That you've done everything in your power as much as lieth in you to live peaceably with those who belong to your extended family. It applies, of course, to the church family. And again, if by the grace of God, we all take this seriously then peace will dwell among us. We sang together Psalm 122, which speaks so beautifully of that. Sadly, in church history, there are too many examples of that not being the case. That grieves the Holy Spirit. Think of what we read in Proverbs 6, verse 16 and 19. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. That makes sense, does it not? If God is the great peacemaker, he will hate that which undermines peace. He will hate those who sow discord among brethren. And so it ought not to be in the household of God. We are called to be peacemakers. The Spirit of God, if you are a Christian, has transformed you into a peacemaker. And if that functions by the grace of God, if we take that responsibility seriously, then God's blessing will rest upon us. That's the whole point of Psalm 133. When brethren dwell together in unity, God will command His blessing there. And that means that if we detect a conflict in our church community, that means you are called lovingly, prayerfully, wisely, judiciously to be a peacemaker and to see what you can do to try to resolve that conflict. Blessed are the peacemakers. Hebrews 12 verse 14 Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Talked about that this morning, seeing the Lord, experiencing God's favor. And so here the apostle clearly connects following peace with all men. He connects to holiness. So being a peacemaker is an essential mark of holiness. It's an essential mark of God-likeness. And so following after peace is ultimately the fulfillment of the law. Paul writes in Romans 13, verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Proverbs 20, verse 3, It is an honor for a man to cease from strife. That's what a peacemaker will do. Cease from strife. Because a peacemaker, by the grace of God, will take the lowest place. And that will extinguish the fire of 
contention. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15. God has called us to peace. So not only has he Not only has the Spirit of God transformed us into peacemakers, but it is our sacred calling to be a peacemakers. That brings us to our third point, the blessedness of peacemakers. Blessed, supremely happy are they who thus conduct themselves. Supremely happy are they who as much as lieth in them, seek to live peaceably with all men. They shall be called the children of God. So there are two words in Greek that we translate as child. The one word refers to who you are by birth. It points to your genetic connection to your parents. You have been begotten by your parents, and therefore you are their child by birth. The other word describes the character of the child. And it focuses on the fact that that child has something of the father's character. That's the word Christ uses here. So the peacemakers are those who reflect the character of their heavenly Father. Because again, that's implied. When Christ says here, they shall be called the children of God. They are the ones of whom it is true that God is their Father. And by His grace, not only have we been born again into the family of God, but as a result of that new birth, we also have the character of God. And we will begin to reflect that character. And it's obvious, of course, that that is something that so delights God, that is something that so pleases Him, that pleases Him. When His reconciled people, the people whom He has reconciled to Himself, when they are reconcilers, peacemakers, peacemakers who are blessed, because they are led by the Spirit of God. Listen to Romans 8:14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The exact same word again. They will reflect the character of God. Something of God will be manifested in the lives of His children. What a responsibility we have, congregation. If we claim to be a child of God, Because when we misbehave, when we act contrary to this, we bring such dishonor. We bring darkness upon our own soul, and we bring dishonor to his name. Why is it when our children go visiting somewhere else, why is it that you tell them, now behave yourself? Because we know that the behavior of our children is going to be reflection on us, who we are as parents. May I put it very simply, your and my behavior to the world is a reflection of who God is. And God forbid that our conduct would contradict who we claim to be, a child of the living God. Oh, congregation, to be designated by Christ as such is such an unspeakable privilege. There is no greater privilege that can befall a human being than to be a child of the living God. And yet, if the description that Christ gives us, because again, I want to emphasize that all seven of them, the whole thing, all seven of them are a description of the the children of God. All seven of them. It's one package. But this is the most remarkable manifestation of it. This is the most extraordinary demonstration of what the renewing grace accomplishes in the heart of a sinner. When from troublemakers, they become peacemakers. 
And of course, the experiential reality for God's children is that sadly is not always so. Because you see, even in God's children, that old man, the flesh, is flesh. And that's why our flesh has to be crucified. But our flesh is flesh. The flesh of a believer is as ugly as the flesh of an unbeliever. And when our flesh gets the upper hand, then we behave like troublemakers. Then we have to repent. So that again, by the grace of God, we begin to behave as peacemakers. That's why when it comes to our relationships with our spouses, with our children, with our extended family, we have to crucify our flesh, our troublemaking flesh. And looking to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, we must endeavor to be peacemakers so that our Heavenly Father will be glorified by our conduct. As I've said in previous sermons, again, that's why we as Christians, we need to abide in Christ. To be a fruitful Christian, we need to abide in Him. Because the more we abide in Him, the more the fruits will manifest itself. The more we abide in the great peacemaker himself, the more we will become peacemakers ourselves. And so, congregation, in conclusion, who are you? Who are you? The Beatitudes have spoken with unmistakable clarity. Who are you? Are you a child of God? In spite of the fact that you grieve over your shortcomings, but are you a child of God? Do you recognize yourself in this portrait? And specifically in relation to this beatitude. Before an all-knowing and an all-seeing God, are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? A peace breaker. Watson says this, it is Satan who kindles the fires of contention in men's hearts and then stands and warms himself at the fire. Satan loves it when we fail. He loves it. He loves to stir up our flesh and then we become troublemakers instead of peacemakers. Romans 14, verse 19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Or to put it simply, whose image do I bear? Whose image do you bear? Are you bearing God's image or are you bearing Satan's image? 1 John 3, verse 10, a very convicting verse. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. And again, to quote Watson, he says, Let men either lay down their contention, or lay off the coat of their profession. So he's saying, either be a peacemaker or no longer claim to be a child of God. No longer claim to be a Christian. You can't have it both ways. Because blessed are the peacemakers. And that's why when we are troublemakers and even God's children at times fail, we are doing devil's work. And when we do devil's work, we will receive devil's wages. Blessed are the peacemakers. But dear believer, but in Christ is all the grace you need, all the grace you need to be a Christ-like Christian. In Him is all the grace you need to be a peacemaker. All the grace you need to deny yourself, to take the lowest place, to be 
the least. Remember I quoted that German author who said, if we are not willing to take the lowest place, we have not yet understood the cross. Because on the cross, Christ took the lowest place to be our peacemaker. And so it must be with us. So blessed, supremely happy are those of whom this is true. And it's very clear that Christ wants his people to be assured of this. That's why he gives this detailed description. He wants his children to be assured of the fact that they are God's children. To experience that blessedness and that peace. Oh, blessed are the peacemakers, therefore, whose hope is in the Prince of Peace. Let me conclude with two passages that sum all of this up. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Faithful God and Father, bless also this word. A word that points us to who thou art as the great peacemaker but also a word that points us to what our great responsibility is as thy children, as those who profess the name of Christ, to reflect thy character, to be peacemakers, to go out of our way, to dwell in harmony with all with whom we interact, our spouses, our children, our family members, our employees, whoever it may be. Oh, God, give us grace to be peacemakers indeed, also as a church family. May that be evident among us, that we dwell together in unity, for there thou wilt command thy blessing. Forgive us, Lord, all the ways in which we fail in this regard. Those wretched times when we refuse to be peacemakers, when our pride, our ugly pride, gets the upper hand. Oh, Lord, bless us and make us willing to take the lowest place so that thy name may be honored and glorified also by our conduct. And be with all those among us who do not yet find themselves in that picture. Oh, God, have mercy upon them. Give them no rest until they may know that for Christ's sake they too may belong to the children of God. Forgive us our sins of this day and hour. Go with us now as we go homeward. Keep us safely. Go with us in this coming week. And give us grace to walk in thy ways. Give us grace to honor thy name. Oh, grant that by grace we will honor the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, by honoring his written word, including our sacred obligation to be peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Hear us for Christ's sake alone. Amen.